0: You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. And so
1: this is Why We Do What We Do.
0: Welcome.
1: And so I want to just have, if you're out there listening to, well, you're listening to us because otherwise you wouldn't be hearing this. So for (laughs) those of you who are out there listening to us. Maybe
0: you're running, maybe you're walking, maybe you're just enjoying a a nice glass of wine and you're just listening to some psychology, right? Yeah.
1: Either way, I think I can ask you to do this and it won't be too distracting. Um, And basically what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to tell you two things. I'm going to say camping and going to a party. Okay. And so uh, then I'm going to say a word, and I want you to think whether you would respond with either camping or going to a party. And actually, Ryan, if you want to jump in on this, and you can. Yeah. All
0: right, ready? I'll, I'll be slightly delayed so that the listeners can go first. Okay? okay. Tents. Camping. Okay. Kegs. Going to a party.
1: Okay. People. Party? Okay. There's not a right answer necessarily, right? Yeah. You could even have tents at a party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then, let, let's say, games
0: uh, Definitely Camping, actually Wow, okay I used to do that a ton when I was a little kid Awesome My history's coming out here uh, Yeah, music Ooh, party
1: Okay Excellent
0: <laughs> So Yeah Listeners, listeners, you, you probably didn't uh, say the same thing I did all yeah. the time, right? Right. And you probably had your own reasoning, so and so, for like why you chose what you chose, right?
1: So uh, the reason that we did this, this is basically, I mean, this is actually a very different setup of how this is, how this particular test works. And um, I'm going to actually go through a more descriptive example with you again. Uh, yeah. We'll run through the test, how it actually set up. But this is all reflective of what's called an implicit association test. Right. And so we'll talk a little bit about implicit association. But let's actually start with some of the history of this. OK, we're on a journey back in time. A couple decades. (laughs) Yep.
0: That is my new sound for time warping. Okay.
1: (laughs) We'll have to to clip that. And every time we journey back in time, we'll hear Ryan making breathy sounds.
0: (laughs) I think I can replicate. I'll practice. Probably.
1: All right. So in the 90s, we had a couple of researchers um, by the name of Greenwald and Banaji. And there were some others as well that I've, the names I've seen, um, McGee and Schwartz, right? Yes. And so they basically had this notion that there is this thing called explicit and implicit memory okay so we should actually probably do that first so explicit memory has to do with the things that you can immediately recall and describe and implicit is also referred to as your working memory Mm -hmm. or your procedural memory which is the things that you are not necessarily consciously aware of but that you process anyway so for example you might be not necessarily consciously aware of all the sounds in the background of where you currently are. But nevertheless, you hear those sounds. And if they were to change, you might actually orient to the new sound a little bit. Right. And so there is a little bit of this memory that's going on. And some of the work that has shown that there is this idea that there's implicit memory um, has to do with priming, um, which we've talked about. Mm -hmm. And that's the idea that you can set up very subtle stimulus cues yep. that were more likely the t- to then evoke a later response even though you didn't notice those cues. Yeah.
0: Right, I mean, maybe think about like marketing and stuff like that, advertisement, sure. oh, right? Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> we did. Yeah. <laughs> the whole
1: thing on subliminal messaging if you want to check out that episode. That was a fun one. Yeah. Um and so the these researchers in the 90s decided that the same idea of procedural and implicit memory could also be applied to things like attitudes and social constructs, okay? And so what that means is that people who have a bias toward other people or other, even ideas, like political ideas, yeah, um, that those are things that you might not necessarily be consciously aware of a process that's there that is influencing your behavior.
0: Yeah, so you might um, be unaware that you are being racist Right.
1: Yeah, racist or sexist or
0: or politically leaning in one way on certain topics when you sure. don't really realize it.
1: Yeah, you yeah. might you might have been in the most recent election in the United States where there was uh, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, and you would have been like, well, I don't like either of them. I don't have a bias because they they're both awful. May have been your uh, position on this, and they would have maybe done this test and tried to say, well, actually, you were more biased, or you liked this person even less than you liked this person. Yeah, <laughs> um, and you were leaning one way over the. More than another, even though you didn't think that you were, Uh, but they do this with all kinds of things too. They even do one with your own self worth, self esteem, that sort of thing, yeah. Um, and and others as well.
0: It's been extended into health research, right? Yep, the extent to which you're getting like appropriate medical treatment, yeah, is the idea,
1: law enforcement. Um, hiring at jobs.
0: I was gonna say human resources. Yeah. And like, oh my gosh, I yeah, can't yeah. wait to get to that section.
1: <laughs> yeah, and we'll go over some more <laughs> Take the of the chain off.
0: Take the chain off. <laughs> <laughs> some more of the examples where this is used.
1: Um, but it's worth talking about the test that they developed. And so the question that they wanted to ask in this was if there is such a thing as implicit bias, this idea that we have a bias toward something that's a social attitude. Yeah. But we don't know that we have it. Uh How would we test for that? Right. And so their general approach to this, how how we're going to test for this is to say, well, let's look at the priming research that with priming, what they're looking at is how quickly you respond to the stimulus, even if you don't necessarily know that stimulus prompt, that cue that you maybe don't know is there. That's really subtle. Um, or maybe you don't know the effect of the cue, even if you know of the cue. Let's look at that, right? So the point being that if you respond really quickly to a particular stimulus cue, that that indicates a strong association with whatever the reference is and Uh that cue. And so, as I said before tents and camping yep, like there's yeah. a pretty strong association and a little bit stronger probably a lot stronger than you have with tents and party although you could have that yeah and maybe someone who always has tents at their party would think party as soon as i said tents, yeah right? right um so that's just a matter of whatever your association is with those things because of your history of involvement with those ideas and so the same thing it could be applied to yeah, again so, going yeah. back to the political thing mm-hmm. um if i were to say something like um Uh, Border control, then someone might have a a stronger association with Donald Trump than with Hillary Clinton. And if I were to say like government regulation, they may have had a stronger association to Hillary Clinton than with Donald Trump. And that's and that's just all not to say that those were what what people would have or that those were based on anything in reality. Um, and you can make the case that they are. I'm just trying to make the point here that um, those are some associations that one could have.
0: Yeah. right. So we started to kind of summarize. We started in this implicit and explicit memory idea. Right. And then that was just kind of like, hey, if it happens here, we can bring it into this other realm. And so right. explicit, when we're talking about these implicit association tests, explicit is that we can respond to these stimuli in our environment in some sort of like thoughtful, deliberate, and controlled manner. Yes. Right? Yeah,
1: that's a great point to, um, to bring that back
0: in. But then implicit, they're saying that there's something in our history that we're interacting with, like, the social environment as we're going throughout our day, and it results in forming these sort of, I don't like the word, quote, sub- subconscious, like, evaluative responses, right? And these are Automatically occurring, we cannot control these. Is the idea,
1: right? Yeah, and I mean, it, the idea that they did develop through our contact and experience with certain events in in the world, um, but nevertheless, that we don't necessarily register or uh, identify the fact that those are influencing our behavior.
0: Yeah, the point is, is it's those implicit ones aren't thoughtful, they aren't deliberate, and they aren't in some sort of controlled matter. Yeah, right? but
1: they may nevertheless be influencing you. Exactly, which actually kind of comes back to the whole idea of the subliminal messaging episode, where uh, I'll spoil a little bit of. That. <laughs> you, I mean, I recommend going back and listening to it in, for reference to this, but um, is the fact that where those effects occur are, rel- are pretty weak um, yep. in like advertising. Um, but anyway, um, going let's just return so, back to where we're here. Okay, here.
0: so next point I was going to make is that there's more than a dozen different versions of the Implicit Association test. There are many, yeah. And they're all designed in a similar manner that they're trying to get these um, unconscious attitudes towards some sort of particular characteristic, as you've been describing.
1: Yeah, exactly, um, and unconscious associations too. Again, meaning unconscious here, meaning that you would not necessarily be able to say, even if you maybe willing to, but I'm un- unable to say that you had that bias. Yeah. Now, but here's another thing about the hypothesis of this test is that um, if it me- measures the implicit association, then that is a better reflection of their existing bias because if you were to try and put someone in a situation where you were to get them to admit it explicitly one they may not know but two um which i think kind of counteracts one but two is that they um might be unwilling to reveal those attitudes or feel like this is a socially unacceptable position to have Mm -hmm. so i'm going to like hold it down and keep it subtle yeah so you might ask someone who does have racist attitudes if they have racist attitudes they're going to say no because socially that's something that um one would be treated as a pariah for having those attitudes yeah um and so they can pariah yeah (laughs) you and your words man what is
0: a pariah Oh, uh, I'm sure there's like 80% of our listeners also wondering this.
1: It just means like basically someone who's outcast and regarded as a, a bad person. Yeah, kind of Abraham
0: always about. teaches me new words. <laughs> All right. Nice. Um,
1: yeah. So someone is would be unwilling to reveal his attitudes because there is existing social stigma around having those attitudes. Okay. okay. And so if you, instead you can get to them implicitly, um, then uh, I guess that means that it can be explicit, but you can access it implicitly. I'm un- unclear on their uh, hypothesis about that relation. Because okay. like I said, yeah. if they're basically making the case that people won't say it because that would mean that they know it explicitly, but then it would have to be implicit as well. Yeah. Anyway. So
0: this this begs the question, is it the implicit association test or the bias itself? Like we got to sort those out, right?
1: Basically, I think in what you're asking is, is the implicit association detecting bias, or are we? Is that what we're detecting—an artifact of the test itself? Exactly. Okay.
0: And like, where is our beef? Because we're kind of con- building up to that, right?
1: Yes. And so I think it's worth pointing out that there's not necessarily a problem with identi- with implicit bias—the fact that that people have an implicit bias. Where we're going to walk into procedurally is how one would actually measure and test for this sort of thing, and I think it's acceptable to say that there might be things that you um you feel that you don't necessarily acknowledge that you have that reaction um that would be considered an implicit bias um but let's let's go into a little bit more of how this is supposed to work okay All right. So essentially, the most generic version of the test that I found, um, or at least a general theme, is that there's going to be a whole bunch of conditions of the test. And it's relatively fast. It was developed in the 90s, so it was all on a computer. And uh, there's always going to be um, phases where you have essentially a practice and then a test. Mm -hmm. And the practice is to get you familiar with what the associations are, which is in and of itself kind of funny. And then the (laughs) test is to see like how quickly you respond to those associations. okay? And then after all of that is done, then there's actually in a mini questionnaire where they'll ask you explicitly what your biases are um, if you have them. And then it will spit out the results. So I actually don't know whether um, there are. So those are the tests that I took anyway, um, because I tried to feel around for some of these different tests and find some of the free online ones. And the test that I took had that section at the end where I'm looking at that thinking, did you just derive your conclusion about my bias from like the last five questions that you asked me explicitly? Mm -hmm. Um, I I, I assume not, but it's just as funny that that's there. And then you question it. So anyway, the, the point is that There's two words depending on the theme of the test. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there's something like um, like conservative and liberal would be one or for the self. um, One, I believe it's something like good and bad or worthwhile or unworthy, something like that. And then there's a word that pops up and you click to uh, have that word be associated with one or the other. Now, but it's not actually a choice. There's a correct and incorrect answer. Yeah. And so the point is that there is going to be a word that will be good is associated with one of them, or bad is associated with the other. It's called a valence test. Mm -hmm. And what that means is that there's some evaluation of how those things are supposed to relate. And then so on the left side of the screen, they'll have one word, on the right side of the screen, they'll have the other word, and then they have uh, the good and bad, and a whole bunch of other words that might be associated with those, and then you click. And if you get it incorrect, then it has a little feedback thing that says incorrect, and then you have to correct it, right? And how quickly you respond to the relation of good to the target word and bad to the other target word, that's what they're measuring is that duration. Now, like I said, initially there's just a test ta- or a practice. Um, during the practice, you uh, you just get used to the fact that you're clicking, or you're usually pressing a key on the yeah, keyboard. Yeah, usually keys. Yeah, to indicate good or bad. Um, and then what happens is they, uh, they'll test it. Um, where they're actually measuring the the time it takes from once the word is presented to when you click the association of to the correct or the incorrect target. Mm-hmm. Okay, then what they're generally going to do is switch the targets, and then they're going to switch the association. Right, um, and so they as if it wasn't confusing enough. Right. So if we were going like conservative and liberal, then you might have um, good, bad uh, on that. And then what it's going to do, is going to flip it. So if conservative was good before, now liberal is going to be good and vice versa. Right. And uh, and that's how all of these valence sort of tests work. And there are other ones that have they're not necessarily good, bad, but there are other types of associations you can do. But it's all the same sort of setup where it's one word. Um, that is supposed to be associated with another word, and then they switch that relation, and mm-hmm. they're trying to measure on those test versions of this uh, or steps of this how quickly you associate with a word with a target. Okay?
0: Okay. So should we give an example?
1: Yeah. So here...
0: Uh, <laughs> I, that was an elaborate...
1: Uh, that was very elaborate. I apologize. Yeah. No, it's L- good. Uh, I'm pretty
0: uh, sure you could walk that out procedurally after that.
1: Re- well, the, yeah. And that More was detailed. The, that was the hope is to just sort of give... I mean, if you read up on this, there's so much detail in... Like what's supposed to happen. So I was trying to make it as general as possible. But let's give an example of what this might look like. And this is going to be a valence test. And so I'm going to do this really quickly for Ryan. All right. So Ryan, we're going to start with dancing is bad and reading is good. Okay. All right. So if you see dancing, what should it be? Bad. And reading is? Good. All right. Perfect. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say some words associated with either dancing or reading, and then you would say which one I'm talking about. Okay.
0: How are going so responding either bad or good?
1: Yes. Uh, well, so what I'm going to say is good. Oh. And then you would say reading or bad and you would say?
0: Bads dancing.
1: Yeah. All right. Now, normally on these tests, I don't actually... I didn't see if there was an audio version. All the ones that I saw were visual. So I don't know if they have actually looked at this. And I actually specifically tried to find for people who have other kind of impairments um, what they might recommend and doing this test maybe they just don't have it i'm unclear uh, but i didn't find one for audio so the audio version that i'm doing right now is not what this test actually looks like this yeah is, you're supposed to be looking at something and picking these and we'll and have lots of screen. links to those okay i just want to make sure we set this up so um dancing is bad reading is good okay yep dancing is right. bad reading is good all right so Bailey's um, done <laughs> okay so if i say book reading or joyful Book um, reading or joyful. Oh, sorry you're, like, re- you're
0: giving me like three different examples of what you might say
1: those are things i might say yeah and actually reading wasn't one of them is book good or joyful then you would say reading okay if i say club awful or pleasant then you would say dancing so let's practice ready bad reading no
0: bad's dancing
1: there you go awesome
0: (laughs) this is hard to just like without the visual feedback too yeah awesome is reading
1: good excellent
0: reading terrible dancing book reading club Dancing.
1: Cool. All right. So then there were six more tasks, and it would switch off like the association of um, the words that were there or what position they were on the screen, that sort of thing. Okay. Um, And so then I would say um, dancing and reading and other words. And and again, this is a visual task, and you would uh, associate them with the adjective. So instead, I might switch it now, and then on the top of the screen, it says good and bad. Okay. And then I would say like dancing, reading, and you'd have to associate them that way. Okay? OK, so then it switches. And now it's the reverse. So now dancing is good and reading is bad. OK,
0: dancing is good. Reading is bad.
1: OK. So if I say terrible, you'd say dancing. No. <laughs> reading. Good. Gosh, Evil. Uh, Reading. Excellent. Dancing. Great. Dancing. Cool. All right. So if you answered more quickly, um, then that would mean that there was a, a stronger association. At least that's the hypothesis. Right. To the thing that you're relating it to. Yeah. Which means that you have a a bias toward that particular type of relation either good or bad and that uh, i guess concept in this case dancing or reading and so i just kind of made this up right i didn't actually pull this from one of the tests this was just to give an example of what this could possibly look like so basically we already talked a little bit about this but the idea is that uh, if it's easier to do then uh, you'll do it faster Mm -hmm. and if it's difficult to make that association then you'll do it slower. Yeah. You might think, well, what about if it's just slower to figure out what keys you're clicking? Yeah. So they try to account for that by making that it's only two keys and you just keep your hand on those two keys the whole time. Okay. So there's a little, a little bit of an assumption that you have the appropriate motor control to regulate yeah. that, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you get those two categories, whatever they are, and then you s- basically sort things into those categories.
0: And the appropriate eyesight, too, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, they also do this not necessarily with words, but also with just symbols as well. So there could be things like, what is your association to these symbols? Okay. Yeah,
0: and part of that is because you, we all have this history of things, right? Right. And so, like, if we're trying to study this in some sort of like novel context, we can't use those same words and symbols that we've seen already, right? Isn't that the idea?
1: Uh, I mean, yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so there are. E- there are there are a few different types of these. So as I mentioned, there's the valence, um, and then there are also stereotypes, which can be valence as well. Yeah. Um, and so this one is used for stereotypes about race, gender, sexual preference and orientation or identity, um, even things like bias toward other nationalities, um, rich and poor, fat, skinny, uh, all kinds of things. I mean, really any, any anything you can think of. Um, as I mentioned, there's a self-esteem. They have one called a brief. Implicit association test and I didn't look at what that was but I know it's supposed to be a little bit shorter But it also looked like it had almost the same number of steps So I don't know how much time it shaves off of the test, which is already pretty short itself Um, And then they have one that is specifically supposed to be designed for children. Okay And so again that the general idea is that there is some kind of attitude or stereotype that you might have That has these associations with specific words Okay. So part of this, there, there's several assum, uh, assumptions built into this, and we'll need to get into what all of those assumptions are. But part of the assumptions is the fact that people have the same type of association with those evaluative words and the same type of association with the words that you present that are supposed to represent the example of a thing they could be biased toward. And what I mean by that is, let's say, for example, we go to conservative or liberal. Maybe you don't really think of those things as having any meaning to you. Like you might be someone who takes this test wondering, Oh, am I more conservative or more liberal? Uh-huh. And you have no association with what those things are supposed to mean. really. Yeah. Like maybe you just don't pay attention to politics at all. And so someone says, are you conservative or liberal? And you're like, well, I don't know.
0: Yeah. That was like the first 25 years of my life.
1: <laughs> <Right>. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, does conservative mean environmentally conservative? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Most people would say no. Um. But anyway, the <laughs> point being that there, there is an assumption built in that you already come to this with some associations, right? And that's what they're testing for, yep. the existence of those associations. Yep. But also the idea that those associations influence your overt explicit behaviors and the choices that you make. Okay. So there's some assumptions about that. There's also the assumption that um, the evaluations you have, again, mean about the same thing for people. So yeah. good for me, it means the same thing as good for you. So if we react the same way to the word good, we might not. There are people who speak almost always in superlatives, which is to say, it's not good, it's always the best, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it's not bad, it's the worst. <laughs> and so bad to them almost is a neutral word, yeah. right? Because uh-huh. the, the on the spectrum of bad and good, worst is the only word that ever falls into the category of bad. And if you say something's bad, that just means it's meh. Not yeah. That, yeah, it's not that important, right? All right. So that's another assumption that is important to understand about uh, what is built into this test itself. Okay, There are some other things about this that I think are sort of logical problems, as well as some scientific issues that we'll discuss. Okay, so one of the things that's a little bit interesting about this, as I mentioned earlier, or at least alluded to, is the idea that we're trying to detect this implicit cognition through explicit stimuli. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And so, you know, generally in priming, it uses subtle or I guess not necessarily explicit stimuli functions, at least, or like effects. Um, And in the implicit memory, it's sort of the same idea. Um, But this is the idea is that, first of all, there is something that is meaningfully and functionally different between implicit and explicit responding and like thoughts and that that can be meaningfully determined through explicit stimuli. Okay. And so one question I had about this is how does one extract the sort of other factors related in those explicit associations when they're trying to use those explicit stimuli and extract that from those implicit associations. Right. So again, what I'm saying is how do you extract the bias that comes with the explicit associations that you're using Yeah, and try and separate that from the implicit association someone has. And that actually goes back to the point you were making of, is this just an outcome of the test or is this actually detecting the thing that we're interested in when yeah. it comes to reliability? Yeah.
0: It sounds like it could just be an artifact, right? Yeah, it could a, be like it's a result of the procedures. Meaning. Um, the yes. The way we're carrying this stuff out, right? right? That's what an artifact is.
1: Yeah. So, you know, and how, how does one determine the difference there?
0: I don't know. Yeah. I don't know either. Enter cricket sounds. So
1: inside of this are some other assumptions about the general concept itself. And one thing I would like to tackle probably in a future episode, is this idea of construct validity. And Uh what that means is um, the ideas that one has about psychological events, whether those events themselves are real things or if they are just – sort of ways of describing general categories of events that take place mm-hmm. right which is to say that if i say, actually use an example in a previous episode where i said excellence is excellence a thing that exists that i can like find it and hold it in my hand and it's this tangible thing
0: if you if you do can you please share it with everybody right <laughs> yeah <laughs> it'll
1: be I, uh, it'll be available for a nominal fee You're l- 1
0: million dollars <laughs> <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> Good reference like that yeah i have like zero pop culture references yeah all right so um,
1: the whole point of of what i'm bringing up here is the fact that sometimes we have these ideas these constructs that we treat them as if they were real things and that is this uh, when we do that that's called reification yes and so ba- again making
0: re- making a not thing a thing
1: yeah exactly that's a good way of putting it yeah reification uh, just as you said is treating some idea That is maybe based on a general category of things as if it were a tangible, real thing that can be studied and held and looked at. And I give the example of excellence, but there's plenty more happiness is another one. Yeah. It's like this
0: isn't to say that there isn't things that we call excellent out there. right? Right. Exactly. It's just like you can't turn it into this thing that isn't a thing.
1: Yeah. It's identifying that happiness or excellence and other things like that. They are arbitrary categories. They're useful and we understand what they are. But if I were to try and go out in the world and find like, okay, I need to find exact happiness. And then that way I can give it to people again for a nominal fee, um, (laughs) (laughs) that, uh, that's treating happiness as if it were a real tangible thing. It's not, it's a way that we describe things and it's okay. Like that's okay to describe things as using words like excellence and happiness and, and on those other words that don't necessarily refer to any one thing. It's just understanding that, those are just referential words that yeah. we use, that they're not actual things, right?
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Citation, like, every influential person on social media right now, right? <laughs> like, okay. All right, so this also brings up this uh, some things we've talked about in the past. I remember exactly which episode it was when we were talking about, I think it was truth, and we were talking about what it constitutes being true and right. Okay. Right? And so these this sort of logic that leads to this reification and this like making a, a not thing a thing um, often comes from this like mechanistic approach that we talked about in the past. and it's a way to approach psychology and this means that we are, essentially correct me if I'm wrong these things are typically occurring at what people say like this cognitive level right so this is a bias for example right it's it's all happening implicitly cognitively it doesn't necessarily have to do with the overt external world right
1: yeah the idea that it, it is just in your thoughts although it might indirectly affect your overt behaviors
0: yes so I feel like a core assumption of this line of reasoning is that the this notion that behavior is caused or mediated through the action of certain mental processes or representations is that right? Yes. Okay. Help and me.
1: At least I think that's I think that's generally would be the conceit of this. Yes. It's, okay. And so yeah, just uh, I want to make sure that I say your point one more time to make sure it's clear is this is based on the assumption that thoughts are not necessarily behaviors, but there's something other than behaviors that can cause behaviors. Yeah. Right? Yeah, so it's something that it is it is unaffected, like it is a first cause sort of thing. Mm-hmm. The thought itself is the thing that initiates the behavior. That's yes. what that's based off of.
0: Yes, from. and so researchers, my point here is like the researchers that approach the world through this lens have a goal of identifying and manipulating these sort of mental constructs and things um, in order to predict behavior and its change, right? Still coherent and logical here? Sounds good. All right, so if that's the case, then it's important, I think, to note that these mental processes and representations that we're talking about can neither be contacted nor manipulated in space or time, right? I mean, they're not things. Right. They're just not here. Um, they might be these things that we talk about, and that's a whole different concept, right? These arbitrary things that we're kind of lumping together and talking about. Right. But they're not here. I can't hold
1: them. Yeah, they're, they're inferred to exist, but the conceit is that they don't necessarily exist in a tangible way. Yes. Although I think the cognitive neuroscience group would say that these are just found inside of what the brain is doing and things that we again aren't necessarily aware of but are nevertheless the workings of the brain and so they do exist in a tangible way in the sense that they are part of our physiology or at least the process of our physiology but that does then have the assumption of is the thing that you're looking at actually the concept that you have identified, or are you looking at a process that is just part of this overall experience and not necessarily its own causal, um, I guess,
0: link in the chain of events? Yeah. So that's like a different line of logic than what I was heading down. I agree with that. All right. Yeah. So to bring it back to this inference, like we are inferring that something's happening. That doesn't sound coherent when it comes to science, that we infer things are happening. And so what I feel like is happening here is we have a thing that's not a thing that can affect a thing that really is a thing. Right. Right? Yes. So something that's not in this world with absolutely no proof of its existence can influence something that is actually in this world with proof of its existence.
1: Well, and that comes back to the whole idea that we talked about with circular reasoning and how... The the proof of its ex- existence is the effect that it's supposed to have and it uh-huh. has no other proof. And that's that circular reasoning problem where if the only evidence is the outcome and mm-hmm. the outcome is your explanation for the outcome, yeah, then that doesn't make any sense logically to yes. say that. So you couldn't say that it was the bias that caused this to happen if the the only evidence that this happened is the or the only evidence that there's bias is the fact that it happened. Yeah. And so, um, and this is, this goes back to another problem that I don't know if we've actually tackled, but we probably need to do a deep dive on called this dualism, mm-hmm. um, or uh, start sometimes referred to as Cartesian dualism. And that's the mind body problem, which is that there is a mind, but that's separate from the body that yeah. influences um, things that you do. And that assumes that then there is a reality separate from the one we live in. And that that's sort of what you're, I think you were saying, is the fact that. Treat it in such a way that we're referring to something that is not just a neural process, Mm -hmm. but nevertheless influences our behavior outside of the reality in which we exist. That is based on an assumption that there can be multiple realities that influence one another. Yeah. But only when it's convenient to do so.
0: Yeah, exactly. So like what? This is not the science that I signed up for. Right. (laughs) Right. um, Well, I think. But I can't. Yeah.
1: Don't embrace this. Dualistic thing.
0: Yeah, but I think that oftentimes you slip down the rabbit hole and you don't realize that that's actually what you're looking at all of a sudden. Oh, sure. Yeah. Right.
1: It's very easy to like give so these there's, non-science, there's funny thing of like
0: overtly they are saying like I'm not for this, but then implicitly <laughs> they are kind of for this, right?
1: Yeah. Well, it's a it's a logical inconsistency that you might not be attending to because it's uh-huh. a language thing. Yeah, exactly. The language um, is fallible.
0: So my point here is like I, as a practitioner helping somebody out or interested in psychology, I can't. I don't think I could be relying on things that aren't things that apparently affect all the things that are things in the world. That just doesn't make sense, right? Sure. Okay. (laughs) That's good. Okay. So another thing to consider
1: in discussing Some of the potential issues that might arise with trying to test something like implicit bias is that everybody comes in with this history of learning or these previous associations. And that was one that I actually mentioned earlier. Now, this is not something that the researchers in this field deny exists.
0: Yeah. No, they all state it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They all understand that people come in with a history. But in, in not accounting for what that history is, it's difficult to say what is contributing to their answers on the test. At least that's that's how I would look at this and sort of critically evaluate can i be sure that this is measuring what it's supposed to measure have we ruled out these things that people may have learned coming into this even just about taking a test in the yeah. first place and like and how they think you might want them to answer right
0: yeah and we said that this originally started in the mid to late 1990s right yeah in well i think the first of- test
1: didn't actually even come out until
0: 1998 yes so yeah Science that is less than 50 years is young. <laughs> can, we, yeah. can we agree with that? Oh yeah, for like, sure. Like extremely young. And like, so these are questions that people uh are gonna be aware of, they should be asking, but there's probably limited research on.
1: Right. And so inside of this, there is the accusation that what the implicit bias test is confusing familiarity with the concepts to preference for or um, even biased toward them. it yeah, so makes might sense. Be, yeah, and that was the one where I mentioned with the whole tents and camping example yeah. was like if you're really familiar with the association between these two things but not really familiar with the association between these two things, yeah. the fact that it takes you longer to um, make that association might make it look like you're biased toward it when it's not that it's. it might actually be that you don't really know. Uh-huh. And they try and rule that out with the practice tests, but there still might, you know, one practice test that takes 30 seconds might not be enough to overcome come several years of learning that you've done with respect to those types of associations okay
0: I would totally agree and that that dependent variable like what they're actually measuring there right of time that's interesting in and of itself I've saw I saw that some of these are talking about what is the appropriate amount of time to call it something that's implicit right versus explicit oh yeah so how do you decide
1: like how do you decide that this is fast enough
0: yeah. So fast enough. I saw on one of them specifically was about three seconds, and then wow, really?
1: Yeah, that seems like a long time.
0: Yeah, it is, right? But then what they did is they moved it down to two seconds because they w- were finding that they had a little bit more consistent results there. Okay. Um, but the point is, is these things are shifting, and researchers aren't agreeing with this. Okay. Necessarily? Well, yeah. And how do you come to those
1: decisions, right? Is this based off of you know where they're
0: trying to look at the predictive validity of these sort of things, okay. right? Like, do they actually predict things?
1: That's a great concept in general. Um, I mean, there there are other types of validity I prefer, but pr- predictive validity is at least something. Yeah. <laughs> you <can> yeah. Reference.
0: <laughs> and not to not to throw any specific one under the bus, um, but like my point, I guess. There's ones that are also in the the framework that I view the world in, and I think they are still having these same issues. Sure. And for me, they're, they're not even layered with the issue of, is that time enough? There's also like, they're looking at what it, what constitutes enough trials, what constitutes how much percent correct you need to be on these sort of things, for yeah. us to assume these sort of things. We all, I don't know if we've riffed on percent correct and those sort of things yet. Not yet. On this podcast, think. but like there's inherent issues with that that you can go into for hours. So yeah, it's, it's young. Right. Caution. Here's your caution.
1: Yeah, and some other critiques that people have raised is that there might be people who have trouble with reversing the categories. Remember, I pointed out a significant portion of this is the fact that they switch those relations and then see how fast you respond to that new switch.
0: You saw that happening to me. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And just like a couple, a couple quick examples, I messed it up twice. Both times you switched, right?
1: And so what if there are, you know, there might be a group of people or maybe this is just a characteristic of some of people that they're on a gradient of can switch categories really fast or really struggle with that sort of thing. And there might be sort of variations in what that could look like, right? It's not even a gradient. It's more of a spectrum of some people are really great at switching some categories, but not others. And how would you rule that out in your results on this, right? So you're
0: saying it has to do with their history.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And (laughs) another one that's pointed out is there might be an order effect, which is to say, if you start with this association, are you more likely to get a bias when you switch it later on? Mm -hmm. So if you start with conservative, good, liberal, bad, are you more likely to show a bias toward liberals when you switch that relation? Or vice versa, if you start with liberal, good, conservative, bad, and then you switch it later, do you then show that bias toward the conservative because you started with the um, association of the um, good with the liberal in the first one, right? Yeah,
0: and if someone's like, okay, why does this really matter at the end of the day? There are training programs that are being established off to this sort of oh, stuff, Oh, yeah, right? the
1: implications of this are huge. huge. We're going to get to in just a moment.
0: So, like, stick with us.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm going to try and go quickly through the rest of these. So some other things that people have pointed out about uh, that might be issues to consider is whether or not this is how... They're measuring actual clear attitudes versus someone's social knowledge of things. What they have found is that people who are overall slower tend to yield uh, larger effects. What about there's one where like, let's say, for example, racism even someone who is not racist at all if they're taking this test and they're trying to be really careful in their answers might be slower and it looks like they have a bias when they're really just trying to make sure that they don't give incorrect answers yeah um or they're trying or like it's a really sensitive topic and so it's sort of like whoa i need to think about this or maybe
0: there was like 800 implicit associations made in that split second yeah right and they're like yeah which one are we even measuring then at that point
1: uh right exactly (laughs) um and that one thing that is which
0: one are we inferring that we measured
1: Uh, Some data have showed that repeated taking the test actually decreases the effect of implicit bias.
0: Not super surprised on that one. Yeah.
1: Right. (laughs) People can intentionally fake their answers. And especially this is more powerful if
0: you try and go faster through it. I was in one of these in undergraduate. Yeah. uh, And I wasn't trying to fake it. I was just bored.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I was so bored. Almost a similar thing. And I (laughs) I had no clue
0: what was correct or incorrect because I wasn't getting feedback for the longest time. Sure. So I just smashed keys and I was like, how do I get (laughs) out of this experiment? Yeah. I opted into it. It was cool, but I was just bored. That's what I meant, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, and then another one is that there is relatively low test retest reliability, which is to say, if you were to take that test and then take it again later, you would probably end up with a different score than you did the first time, which is to say that it might identify a different type of bias as it did when you took the test originally. and that either speaks to the fact that if this is measuring what it's supposed to measure your bias is constantly fluctuating so the test generally has no utility yeah. or else it's not measuring what it's supposed to measure in which case the test generally has no utility
0: yeah so i walk in thinking i'm a liberal i come out conservative but then i go in the next time thinking i'm liberal and i confirm i'm liberal
1: right yeah or thinking you're conservative and come then i go
0: home and i'm like i don't know what i am yeah now. i'm so confused <laughs> all right um so, yeah, and i wanted to point out this is an issue with almost all of them i think all of them like they're all still sorting out this test retest reliability right yeah I, I believe
1: so yeah and i you know there's there's many other things inside of this test that are important to just be really sensitive to and what they what they kind of allude to right Another thing that people have pointed out is that this might sort of inadvertently pathologize people and blame them for their associations. Yeah, this is huge. Yeah. And and that's to say that it would accuse people of having a particular bias even toward themselves. Like it might say, wow, you've got really low self-esteem when that person doesn't actually have really low self-esteem, but the test says that it does. Mm -hmm. And now what are the psychological effects for them after that? Right. Or things, again, like racism, sexism, other isms um, Mm -hmm. that are, you know, what are your biases that you may not actually have those biases, but then come out thinking that you do as a result of this. Yeah. And that's kind of a dangerous outcome. Right. So that's one of those implications that we need to be aware of. And and just using this tool and being careful about what it might do. Right.
0: Yeah. Overextending it too quickly, all of a sudden results in you calling somebody racist, potentially. Right. right? Well, Um, and then and making huge changes in their life. Potentially, exactly. as a result of it,
1: which I mean, there are other other similar ideas when we get into things like repressed memory and how that's been used. That it seems like a harmless little idea that ends up having really huge implications, right? Uh, or the polygraph test is another really good yeah. one that we did, where you know people who failed the polygraph, even though they were innocent, can also be treated as criminals by everyone around them because they failed that polygraph test, and they yeah. think, well, that test shows you were really lying. Like I wasn't lying; it's just a bad <laughs> test. Some other places where this has been used and had these huge implications are things like like the judicial system in courts, right? Yep. As you mentioned in workplace trainings.
0: I believe Canada, somewhere up in Canada, there was, not to like pretend that's all one giant place, but somewhere up there, there was a specific judicial court system. Yeah. Um, I don't know how wide this and far-reaching this was, but it was mandatory for them to all go through this sort of stuff. And there was actual implications of people saying, you are biased towards these sort of people. You need to go through this retraining. Right. And it sounds a little brainwashy. I don't know about you. <laughs> I think that... One of the things that if you were to measure
1: this implicit bias and actually see like, well, this is how we know that these people really have a bias is because they then also treat people differently in these settings. Right. Then you have that uh, overt, clear behavioral correlation that you can associate with it. Okay, that's great because then look, the test is really working.
0: But where, but where is that?
1: Well, but the point I'm making here is if you can measure that overt actual bias behavior, then you don't need the test because yeah. they're doing something wrong. But if you had the test that said that they were biased, but there was no evidence of them treating other people mm-hmm. badly, then what are you going to do with that? Yeah. Force them to do to work somewhere else. And there's been a, a movement that's been really concerning for me. Of And I heard someone describe this recently as... Um, addition by subtraction yeah. where it was like find those people who are implicitly biased and get them out of that workplace situation. Yeah. And I'm, I'm concerned thinking yeah. so like, you do you're not even really measuring anything.
0: Yeah. And let's like, imagine this. So you're like, you grew up, you're like, I'm going to be a doctor. Right. And you go to school. And you go through all those steps. I don't remember what it was. I looked into being a doctor originally. I was like, you know, let's study biology. Let's go into pre-med. Let's do all this other sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, Finish your residency. You're kind of done. You got $350,000 or half a million student loans. You're like, I'm ready to get going. And then somebody pops in and they're like, hey, by the way, uh, you are racist and biased towards these sort of people. So you cannot be here anymore. Right. You've just worked how many of your how much of your life to like try to do something and now you're being I- excluded from this sort of situation? Well then, Because of a test that is probably not even working. Well and again, correctly. this is based
1: on if, if you were actually doing something inappropriate as a yes, doctor, then yes, that is something yes, worth pursuing. For sure. But this is one saying that you weren't doing that, but it detected that you had this. Yeah. Virus, yeah. Right. That or is
0: a glaring possible situation that's happening detected across in air quotes. Across <laughs> the across industries, right? Like this right. isn't specific to just one area.
1: Now, and it's important to point out that the researchers behind this, Greenwald and, and others, they, bas- they said specifically this shouldn't be used or they don't advocate this u- be used for selection purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, they say that it should be used anonymously. And, you know, maybe a company wants to say how much bias is there in our organization? Should we just try and change the culture of our organization? That's not necessarily a bad thing, you Mm -hmm. know, and I don't necessarily think that they would even be detecting real bias. But it's also not necessarily harmful to say, let's try and adopt a more positive workplace culture around our attitudes toward people by making it really clear what our values are with respect to humans. And that in and of itself could be a great thing.
0: Yeah, I think that's necessary. It's just we, we live in a capitalistic society in which someone can capitalize on this pretty quickly. Right. For incorrect reasons. Yeah. Um, and it, and if you don't understand the importance of these sort of things, you wind up in a situation similar to, like we had with the polygraph, right? Where it's perceived as this valid tool, this perfect tool, when it's probably not, or it might not be.
1: Yeah. And Dr. Paul Stephen Miller at University of Washington has also um, said that and, and similar to what you were saying just now is that it might be actually also useful to challenge people in thinking about their own biases that they might have. So maybe you do actually have a little bit of a sexist bias toward people, but you didn't really ever think about it. And it sort of showed in your language and maybe your treatment of people and even in other maybe subtle ways. Um, and so just sort of thinking about, wow, have I been thinking about these people in a biased way? Maybe that's a good thing. Right. And that could come out yeah. of this test. And so... It's Again, what's dangerous about this, though, is when people get persecuted for this, even in the legal system, when people get selected for this in their workplace, when people get pathologized that didn't even have a bias because it detects, again, air quotes, detects that they do. And also the fact that going back to the idea that the speed of your response is the best detector of... Of whether or not there's bias, like I, I just don't see that that is a valid way of detecting this necessarily, because yeah. there are so many things that affect how quickly you respond to something beyond your own attitudes about that thing. Yeah. Like m- maybe, and I, I mean, this is a conceit I wouldn't even normally make, but I'll just say maybe that could be the case, that your attitude reflects the speed of your response, but other things do too. And yeah. those are not being ruled out. And so it's important to recognize that this is conceptually and empirically kind of a weak tool for determining whether or not there was actual bias and again not that it's totally useless but to be really uh, careful about where this is used
0: yeah you can even assume so if we were to even let's let's even assume it was reliable and valid right there's still people finding even then so if it was but it's it's not largely right right (laughs) okay (laughs) true if that even were still true they're still finding things they show they can have the reverse effect in some studies as well And it doesn't actually improve these situations. Right. Yeah. So it's just like all the way around.
1: Yeah. So uh, my overall um, I mean, there's there's a lot more to be said about this. And there's a lot of things that other people have uh, sort of commented on this as being a test um, and, and where it's useful and where it's not. But I think it's a good place to go ahead and wrap up now since we've been sort of talking about this for so mm-hmm. long and, and maybe we come back to this in the future and I know a lot of people had a lot of comments on social media when we raised this issue. Yeah. Um, so readdressing those and, you know, getting some of the feedback from, from people would be really helpful. So if you have any thoughts, please get in touch with us um, yeah. and we would, are certainly open to doing a follow-up episode where we explore some of the elements of this that we missed this time around. Yeah. But I think it's a good place to go ahead and do our take-home. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So if, you, if you're if you just gonna jump in, Google and look for free ones you can find those to take, right?
1: Yeah, there's plenty of them online. So you just can, look for
0: one and try it out. You can also look for any of the programs that are kind of being developed around this as well. So if you wanted some keywords there, um human resources and HR, there's a lot of things that go on that way uh down that route. I'm gonna link some things there. Police officer first responder trainings are also happening. There's one actually in in Reno where we record this podcast, right? Um up at the university mm-hmm. where they're already acting on these sort of things and in some ways it could be very, very uh large on the repercussions and the implications of their decisions. So they right? could
1: have large imp- uh, repercussions, yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, and so I think just revisiting the... Overall view of the implicit association test, um, it's relatively weak uh, with its consistency. Um, It's unclear whether it measures what it's intended to measure. And uh, it has a small amount of prediction that's not necessarily great and would probably be better measured by just looking at actual behaviors that people are doing. Mm -hmm. And it's possible that the outcomes that they're getting are artifact of sort of an arbitrary idea and social like awareness, um, our idea, like awareness of sort of social norms rather than actually detecting the implicit associations it's supposed to. Um, it could lead to this pathologizing of people and, and as being used as a selection tool, even against the recommendations of its creators. And on all of that, the whole fact of it being based on the speed of response is not necessarily going in my in my opinion, um, but not necessarily the strongest way uh, to identify whether or not there is implicit bias there, right? And again, it's not that there is a problem with the idea that we might have implicit biases. That I think is a different question. We're just talking about this test and how it measures it. I think that there's plenty of things that suggest that we probably do have some implicit bias uh, against certain things and that this test just, it needs to be... As you said, the research is young. It needs to continue to develop and Mm -hmm. become better and more sensitive. And so considering what those biases might be might help us make better decisions, right? I I don't know if there's anything really of good scientific or even, I think, social utility in this test right now. Yeah. Um, There might be some things, as we sort of mentioned, but where it might have sort of implications for let's adopt a more positive culture or let's just consider our own biases. Other than that, I'm pretty skeptical about this as a tool.
0: I would say I agree 100%. Great. All
1: right. Well, I think with that, let's go ahead and wrap this one up. Uh,
0: This is Abraham and Ryan O. We are out.
2: You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why we do what we do is supported in part by ABaI's Disseminating Behavior Analysis Special Interest Group and our amazing listeners. If you like what you heard, consider heading to our Patreon account at patreoncom podcast. Anything helps, and we are continuously lining up perks and merch for our supporters. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at wwdwwdpodcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.wwdpodcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is Abraham, Ryan O., and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollack at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Broussier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Brendan Bohr does our episode art. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day.